Well, we're in a little mini-series here called Words Matter, and I started a couple of weeks ago. We're kind of splicing this over a few weeks here. But we've talked about the word please, and I got this idea from Mark Batterson, some great writing and speaking that he's done. But uh, uh, I talked about the word please, and, and, and I summed it up to say, remember, let there be please on earth and let it begin in me. And we talk about the sincerity, how that values somebody. And I've, I, I hope you have. I mean, I try to take it. I, I'm trying to look at people's eyes and, and the servers last night where they took my plates and uh, say please and thank you, just trying to be courteous. I, I wanna do that. And so today we're gonna talk about another word that's really a tougher one than please. We're gonna talk about the word I'm sorry, which is really sorry. And I wanna talk about the significance of that. But this all springs from a verse that's been my, one of my favorites, and I have a lot of favorites, but a life verse for me for a long time. And I wanna read it again. I read it a couple weeks ago, but in Luke 6:45, and this is from the NIV. So I wanna read this slowly with emphasis. Here's how it goes. A good man, a good person, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Do you believe that? Let me read on. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. You know, it's not popular to talk about good and evil nowadays. It's about tolerance and intolerance and all that. But I want to tell you, the Bible speaks of there is good and evil. And we need to know the difference, don't we? You're kind of quiet in here. We need to know the difference. There, there's a reality there. And then it comes to this thing. Okay, so it's saying, what comes out of the heart? Well, here's the answer. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What I've been saying is, don't say after you said something that you meant that you didn't mean it. Because if it wasn't in your heart, you never would have said it. It's funny, after I prayed and they introduced me as a pastor, you know, a lot of people didn't know that I was one for 44 years now. Um, it's interesting how in conversation, they were telling a story and they started to slip a swear word in there and they all of a sudden did a mid-course correction. And I go, I, I would have been fine with me if they swore that's fine. I grew up in locker rooms and all that. But I thought, you know what? You can control your words. You know, they start, I won't give you any examples, but I could. <laughs> can you imagine? But it just reminded me that still, what's inside comes up and out. The Bible says that that's true. And Mark Batterson wrote, I think this theme of that whole deal was this. He said, words create worlds. If you want to change your life, you must change your words. Wow, now, we don't, this isn't a self-help idea or anything like this because this all stems from going to the cross, the foot of the cross where Jesus shed his blood for you and made forgiveness possible, receiving what he did on your behalf, confessing, repenting, and turning from your sin, and then we wanna represent him well, and if we're gonna do that, we, we better do a serious scrutinization and checkup on our words. Listen, when we say I'm a child of God and we're reflecting him, representing him at work where we are, our words matter. Your words matter. My words matter. I wanna represent Jesus in my words. Followed up by Proverbs 18, 21. I love the, this, this as well. The message says, what you say can mean life or death. Another spot in scripture says, the tongue holds the power of life and death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. I believe words spoken and going back to high school, and remember some teachers that called out things they saw positively in me. That made a difference in the trajectory of my life. What you say can mean life or death because when you say it, people know it's coming from your heart. So if you wanna change your relationships, we say around her all the time, everything rises and falls in relationships, relationships matter, then you've gotta be willing to change your words. And what I want you to do today is go palms up and just say, Lord, Holy Spirit, do you wanna talk to me about the words I use, about the things I say carelessly or otherwise? What do my kids hear? What do my coworkers hear? What do my grands hear and see? I'm just 
Lord, I, I want to go palms up and I want you to examine my heart. So make the best choice and guard your words and do it for God and do it for good. Doing it for God is it's good. Doing it for, for good means permanently a, a heart change, an inside out change. So we began this uh, practical life-giving series, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, talking about please, but today I wanna hone in on sorry. And really, this has to do with all things apologizing and forgiving. They're both bundled up in this sorry experience here. Um, and I think sometimes our words really convey uh, how we see other people. And whether or not, whether or not you say anything, they can, they can perceive how you feel about them by the words you use. And, and I was reminded of a little story, a, a true story. If I can turn to it here, I wanna get my, get my notes right. There was a boy named Daniel, and this was in 1942. It was in, it, it was in German-occupied France. And at eight years old, uh, he and his family were required to wear the yellow star of David on their clothing, and for that little boy, that was a mark of shame, that brought persecution, all kinds of things. You, you can imagine. You've seen, you understand about World War II and the horror of the persecution that a lot of people don't want to talk about nowadays, but there's been nothing in the world like it before or since, really. So he was out one night. They had curfews because he was Jewish and they had to be in, and he was an eight-year-old on the street, and he was, he was walking. He was breaking curfew. I forget why, but uh, he encountered a German SS officer. If you've seen their uniforms, you know how stark and, and dark they are. And he was fearful and tried to get by him and go another direction, but the soldier apprehended him and stopped him. But then everything changed because that soldier did something that Daddy, Danny had no way to categorize and couldn't wrap his mind around. And he said this one incident as an eight-year-old on the streets of France changed the trajectory of his life. The soldier drew him near. He took out his wallet, opened his wallet, and showed him a picture with tears in his eyes of his little son that was about Danny's age. And if that wasn't enough, he took a wad of money out of his wallet and handed him, patted him, and sent him on his way. And Daddy, Danny said that that meant that he valued me. And I wonder if he wasn't almost saying, you know, I know what this country's about, and I know the persecutions that happened. I'm not in line with it. I'm not agreeing with it. And I'm so sorry. And the least I can do is tell you, you remind me of my little kid, and here's some money to run on. Isn't that a neat story? And Danny said that act of kindness, that sorry, if you will, changed my life. And it brings, back, brings us back to this, and I want to ask you, how do you see people? We see people all the time, but how do you, do, I guess I should ask, do you see them? Do you really see them for who they are? Do, and I wanna ask you, do you value them or do you devalue them? Because if you value them or devalue them, that will determine your body language, that will determine how you treat them. So, if you devalue someone, if you see them as less than, that you'll probably mistreat them. You'll that's where abuse creeps in. You'll use them as stepping stones, a means to an end. It'll be hard to forgive and seek forgiveness. You will be totally disinterested in them. Do you think people can sense if you're disinterested in them? Hey, how you doing? Like, no big deal. Or how about this? If you value them, listen to this. You'll honor them as unique and irreplaceable, made in the image of God. Every person you encounter today, this at lunch, wherever you go, they are made uniquely in the image of God, and God has a plan and purpose for them. And God sees beyond first impressions, and he wants us as well. He wants us to be genuinely interested and plugged in, and I can't think of a better way than to 
listen to their story. It's interesting as we move through the crowd, and you know, I kind of did the, the Worcester Naz thing there with all the people that I didn't know but should know because of their names. I kind of went through the crowd and greeted them from table to table. And they'd read my, my, my name on the badge. You know, they wouldn't look me in the eye. They'd look at my chest to see what my name was, you know. But it's interesting because we, I, I couldn't talk long. But in every case, I tried to. I asked them their story. I asked them about their family. I asked them what they'd done for a living. And you know what? Everyone opened up and talked. The interesting thing is that very few people ask me back about mine. But every single one of them, whether I knew them a lot, just they opened up and told me and told me about their family, their marriage, or their kids or their grands. That's what we're talking about here. So I think in this we see that we're gonna, we need to see, consider, and value other the way God sees them and values them. Yes, even those that irritate you, even those people that you don't understand, even those people that don't look like you and act like you, because never forget, I'll say it again, God created them. Agreed? God created all that is, every living thing. Somewhere I read this, God never compares what he creates. That is worth quoting, isn't it? He just keeps creating. So we must place as followers of his, I'm a child of God, we've gotta place value on the things, the people that he creates and he sustains. Ralph Waldo Emerson's getting credit for this. I I can identify, I've, I've tried to live this. I try to live this now. He wrote, Every man I meet is my superior in some way. You know what that means? They're good at something that you're not. And in that, he goes on, I can learn from him. As an athlete, I was always interested in somebody who did something better than I did. And I was asking me, show me, show me. If there's a pitch in your arsenal that I think would really get batters out, show me how you do it. Show me how you do it. If I'm with a pastor, and I don't care if their church is great or small, if I'm with them for an hour, I'm noticing things in their church that I can compliment them. They go, that is a great idea. That's transfer. How did, how did you come about that? Yeah, don't you agree with that? Every person you can learn from. And if you look at them as your superior in some way, on some topic, you can value them and not devalue them. Well, when it comes to understanding people, I'll say it'd do well for us to recapture the curiosity of our childhood. Uh, Does anybody have any contact with kids or grands and you think that your child or grand is able to ask the most questions per second of any child ever created in God's universe? Can anybody relate to that? We've got a few of them. Or this, nowadays, you send a text and before you can get get an answer back, They've texted you five more questions and they're coming in while you're, that's so distracting, isn't it, when you're trying to text somebody and they get five in before you can return it? But they tell us, experts, whoever experts are, they tell us, and it's well over, I forget what the number is, but they say the typical child, I don't know what age, but they ask well over 100 questions a day. But we in our sophistication adults, we're so much better than that. We know all things. So you know how many questions most adults average a day? Six. That's pathetic. That's pathetic. Well, I'm suggesting that that childlike posture that Jesus endorsed is a learning posture that must be regained in the form of asking and listening and then having understanding. Remember John, uh, Jesus set that example in Luke 2.52 when he got away from his parents. Where was he? He was there asking questions, listening and understanding. Oh, we need to go on that. Other experts have said this, and I think this is true. Most people spend 95% of their day focusing on themselves. Is it any wonder that we're depressed? Here, here's, it'd be like going to court and the judge would say, okay, here's your, here's your discipline, your punishment. You have to stand in front of a mirror for 95% of the day, however many hours that week, and you have to look at your own image in the mirror for most of the day, 95%. Would that be awful, depressing? That might, that might be a good thing. 
It's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. You'd start noticing things about yourself that you never knew you possessed before and place you had and wrinkles and all those kind of things, bumps and bruises, and you would feel less about yourself undoubtedly because I've never seen where self-focus magnifies solutions, it always magnifies problems. But you know what solves problems? It's when we get our eyes off ourselves and on the Lord and on others and look for opportunities to serve others. How many of you know that when you're having a really tough day, the best thing you can do is do something for Mrs. Searfoss, my next door neighbor, or whomever it may be. And again, one of the best things my parents did say, say, we're gonna be kind and loving. We're gonna say please and thank you. We're gonna say I'm sorry to Mrs. Searfoss whenever we have a chance because her reaction has nothing to do with our expectation of you. You do the right thing and that totally frees you up. Whatever she does is her choice. And I'm so thankful. I'm thankful as I often say in dedications, my parents did their best not to prepare the road for us like Olympic curling that I talk about, like parents, a lot of parents do. They say, we wanna prepare you children for the road of life. And it's not always fair. There's wins and there's losses, there's tough times, ups and downs, and we wanna do our best to teach you that life isn't fair, but how you respond is everything. And I will be eternally grateful for that. So we need to get out of that self Emerson went on to write this. He said, no man can sincerely try to, it goes along with what I just said, try to help another without helping himself. Is that true? That'll be the lifter of your head and heart. Get your focus off yourself. What a lousy focus that is. It doesn't help you or anybody else. So in this, I would say Jesus' way is the best. And it begins with a sincere sorry, I'm sorry. It's not a Nazarene thing, it's not a Baptist thing, it's not a whatever your church background or no background is, it doesn't matter. Um, but you can't get into heaven until you go by way of the cross. And by, by that I mean you've gotta acknowledge and receive, accept what Jesus did on the cross where he paid the price for your sin. I mentioned that in the membership. And a part of that prayer is you have to say, be merciful to me a sinner, as the guy did in the Bible, the tax collector, and you have to be willing to say, I am truly sorry for my sin. Listen to me, you can't get to heaven without praying that form of prayer in some way. And it doesn't matter if you're just like, hey, sorry, sorry, you know, sorry, it's almost a swear word nowadays. I mean, the Lord knows whether or not it's from your heart. And I guarantee you, you, you can pray that prayer all you want, but until you mean it from your heart, you're never gonna really feel forgiven. You know when you're sincere and when you're not. And if you know, how much more does God know? So, it doesn't begin and end at the cross there, I'm sorry, but we have to take that with us and we have to live in that, being willing to say that. I don't know why it's so hard. There's tons of television programs where they're presenting a rough, tough character and one of the things is they can never say they're sorry. I know you teens won't remember this, but you can Google it, not now, please. But there was a show called Happy Days and there was Arthur Fonzarelli, Fonzie. Anybody remember that, anybody ever? And you remember one of the big things, he was kind of the hood, leather jacket and all that. And he could never say he was sorry. He'd get all choked up. And you know what? We laugh because that's how a lot of us are. We have a hard time owning it. We have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. And I'm telling you in doing so, we're always misrepresenting Jesus if we're not the first to initiate to say and mean, I'm sorry. Well, let's go on. Now, I know our world's full of hurting people, and you know what counselors and psychologists say, that hurting people hurt people, and they do that by projecting their pain all over you and other people, I know that. That's why we need breakthrough empathy that comes from God's heart, where we see them as God sees them. That means we ask about their lives, we listen to their story, and we go eye to eye and heart to heart with them. We wanna encourage them to get their story up and out. 
I remember, I think we were Sunday dinner, we, we, uh, our kids were around the table and, and we invited Jessica and, and uh, Sheldon's kids over to watch our grandkids to keep them out of our hair and we let Jessica and, and, and Sheldon come along just since they brought their kids and they did such a good job to watch them and our dog. And, uh, I, and, and uh, you, may, you probably asked more questions, Jessica, than six a day. So you're, you're more in that, that's a good thing. But she asked Jay something to the effect, she said, about what do you do with all the broken people and the homeless people? And I'm paraphrasing, but he said, the best thing you can do for very, very broken people that in his world, in his city, he says, ask them to tell you their story and you really listen because that gives them value. Did you know that? I wanna say it again. Did you know you have a story? And you know what? If you repress it, excuse the word, but it's kind of like being constipated. You're all plugged up. You need to get it up and out because your story can help somebody. But you start by asking them their story. You don't make it about you, you ask them gently. And he said, you wouldn't believe how that turns hearts and heads in the inner city just by saying, tell me your story. I thought that was good. Excellent, I think it's something for us to apply. So I wanna press in on that. I wanna press in on that a little bit. So confession and repentance with us, and it starts with us. Please don't elbow somebody, and if you're thinking of somebody else that owes you, it's out of context, it's out of whack already. You need to take this truth and apply it to yourself. You know, oh, well, yeah, that person knows me and I'm sorry, blah, you know, whatever. No, 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 because you can be a game changer by you just taking the initiative to do, it, initiative to do what God wants you to do. Um, so we get it up and out, we hear their story, encourage them to get it out in our own lives, we let it go and we let God forgive you and then, listen, we return the favor by forgiving others because forgiven people forgive people and I'll say that again and again throughout this message. Is that true? That's a biblical principle. You receive forgiveness from Almighty God and, you, and, and others as well. Then you in turn shown God's amazing grace to others by forgiving them. What, a, what an amazing opportunity to, to represent God by forgiving others who don't deserve to be forgiven. But you've, you deserve to be forgiven, right? No, you didn't, but he forgave you anyway. Any takers out there? He knows all you didn't thought about doing, but you could never do, and he forgives you anyway. And he's saying, how could you do any less than offer that same grace and forgiveness to others? Don't ever judge them by their story. Listen with compassion. I think Lewis Smedes was who wrote this something. He said, you set a, about this very thing, that you set a prisoner free and then discover that that prisoner you set free is you. By, by saying, I'm sorry, by offering forgiveness. Because you know what? It takes a lot of work and energy to keep that person locked up in the cell in our own mind. So we can swing wide the prison door. We can no longer guard it. Whether they stay in or out, that's their problem. But we're free to go. We don't have to guard them. We don't have to remember that anymore. We can let it go. But pastor, you don't know. I know I don't, but the Lord does. And he said, this is my commandment that you love one another. And how many of you know that that includes forgiveness? It includes I'm sorry. Man, I'll tell you, if we start practicing that, marriages would be turned around and families and businesses would be turned around if we started walking that out and living that out. So, the first, I'll, the first section I'll just call sincerely sorry. And I remember John Maxwell, I think we heard him at, we had Staff Summit this week and part of last. And, and I think on one of the videos he, he'd podcast, he said, one of the, the, the things you have to do most to truly connect with others is to get over yourself. And I think, yeah, I, I said earlier, Rick Warren first coined the phrase I heard, it's not about you, not for us alone, as we often say. And the sooner you realize that, 
the better your life is gonna be. It's gonna change the trajectory. And I think God's given us marriage and family as one of the most effective ways to combat selfishness because it's an unconditional commitment up, you know, for better, for worse. You know, you know you've heard the, the, the vows before, but you have to make that kind of commitment to another imperfect person. I didn't say to an imperfect perfect, perfect person, assuming that you're perfect and they're not. It's two imperfect people trying to do life together. Are you with me on that? And so the Lord gives you opportunities to learn that it's not about you. You switch pronouns and you move from me, 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 me to we, 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 we all the way home. Yeah. Followers of Christ want it to be we, not just me, me, me. That's self-focused. And the family and marriage and children in general present, I mean, just golden opportunities in the art of apologizing, saying, I'm sorry. You might as well get good at it because you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life. Agreed? You ought to be better at it if you're my age than when you 20, 30 years ago. You'll have endless opportunities to say sincerely and mean it from the bottom of your heart, I am sorry. Not sorry, but looks, you look somebody in the eye. You go heart to heart and you say, I am truly sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you in this way. Be specific, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Hey, how are our children and grands gonna learn to say please and to say sorry. How are they gonna learn? I'll tell you how they're gonna learn. Not because we sit down and say, one, two, three, repeat after me. They're gonna learn it organically by watching our lives, by, by reproducing what we do. If, you're, if your kids are crude, rude, and unacceptable, it may be a very, very much a reflection on you. What are you modeling in their home? To, to, their, to their mother, to their father, whatever the case may be. You're a fluid example, if you will. Um, Somebody sent me this quote, and I, I couldn't find who said it, but, but it went something like this. The words I'm sorry are a formal declaration of intent. Changed behavior is the actual apology. So there's gonna be behavior changed if we truly say I'm sorry from our hearts. I was thinking, you know how I think in songs, and I think, sorry seems to be the only word. Is that a Christian song? Or sorry, no, no, that's Elton John. Um, sorry seems to be the hardest word. If you pull up those lyrics, it's so appropriate. In a, in a love relationship, you could say it this way or that way, but it's true. Sometimes those are the hardest. Why? Because the hardest things to do are the best things to do. Have you found that in your life, or is that just me? The hardest steps to initiate are the things that the Holy Spirit is usually prompted to do that make the biggest difference in lives. Sorry is often the hardest word that we can say, but it would be so healing. Who do you need to say eye to eye and heart to heart to, I am truly sorry? Instead of, but you, no, I want you to think about that. I've determined that over the years that selfish people seldom say I'm sorry because they haven't learned to put themselves in other people's shoes. So they don't really value people the way God made them and sees them. They're too self-absorbed, as I mentioned earlier. And you know what, it's like this. Instead of being foot washers like Jesus, because Jesus raised the bar, didn't he? Raise the standard by raising the bar. What did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. What did Pilate do? He washed his hands. It's not me. I'm innocent of this person's blood. I want to be a foot washer, not a hand washer. How about you? And that means accepting responsibility and saying, I am sorry. I'm sorry. Well, self-focus when I think of that word, I think of self-centeredness, selfishness, but I also think of self-consciousness. 
and we think of self-consciousness consciousness as an extreme here, a lack of confidence, and, and maybe the, the opposite, overconfidence. But I want to tell you, they're both self-focusing and they're both damaging. They're both hurtful. You can be totally self-conscious. Sometimes the, the, the worst things we say are to ourselves. The words we say about ourselves really matter, and they really matter because they come from our heart. It's not just others. You're accountable for how you speak about the you that God created you to be. When you become others conscious, others conscious, you take yourself out of that spotlight. And I think that few things take more courage than just go to eye to eye and heart to heart and tell somebody, I am sorry, especially when you don't know what their response or reaction is gonna be. But you gotta come out of hiding, you gotta walk into the line of fire, if you will, for sorry to be genuine, it has to be specific and sincere. It's like the, 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 the husband that said, I'm sorry, honey, I'm sorry, honey, I'm sorry. And she said, sharply, what are you sorry for? Exactly what are you sorry for? I want you to tell me. None of you have ever done that, I'm sure. What did you do? I think even when it comes to our prayers, that instead of praying generic prayers like, Father, please forgive me, you know, we can, we can do that and not even mean it. Father, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But, but would you forgive me for anything or everything I've ever done wrong, whatever? No, you need to be specific. And I think until you are, until you're genuinely sincere, you're not gonna really feel God's forgiveness and sense it in your heart and life. You gotta be specific. You really do. The Holy Spirit will put his finger on those things and say, I wanna bring correction there. He wants us to be sorry, to feel sorry, to apologize for our sin against God and man. We gotta get to the root issue, and if we don't, we'll just be circling forever, going in endless circles, going nowhere. I love God's response in Lamentations 3, 23. It says, listen to this. This is for our apologies. This was, I'm sorry, Lord, to the Lord and others. The faithful love of God never ends. Is anybody glad about that? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. And you and I, we have received boatloads of mercy. Then it says, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. He doesn't pull leftovers out of the refrigerator. He said, I've got new and different ones that fit you exactly where you are today, right here, right now. It's unique to you. God's mercy is tailor-made for you. Wow, his mercy and grace, incredible. And then James goes on to say, it's not, just, it's not enough to just say, go this way, go vertical with I'm sorry, with our apologies and confession. But he says in, in verse uh, 16, it says, confess, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So know this. People can't forgive your sin, only God can. You confess your sins to God and you receive forgiveness for those sins, but you confess your sin to each other and that's where you find healing because God knows when you reveal it, he can begin to heal it. He can touch it when it's out in the open. I'm telling you, secrets have to go. Secrets have to go. The best relationships that I see humanly, there are no secrets because secrets kill you and kill relationships. Secrets gotta go. Secrets need to be out before you ever get married if you do. Secrets have to go. I wanna tell you this. God and people respond positively to the vulnerability of I'm sorry. Did you know that? That touches God's heart. It touches people's hearts also and it opens doors. No matter what you've done or someone else has done. 
God wants you and I, he wants us to do the right thing for the right reason. He knows the motive of your heart and a confession and apology are only as effective as they are genuine. I saw a little Bible passage here that I've never seen before in reading it and rereading it. It's from Exodus 2, 6, and I'll read that in a moment. But here's the backdrop. You remember hearing the story about when the Hebrews were growing, you know, like reproducing like grasshoppers, and, and Pharaoh said, we're gonna start killing Hebrew babies. Does anybody ever heard that story? And during that time when the babies were being slaughtered, his daughter, Pharaoh's own daughter, one of his daughters went to the river, and there she discovered in the water in a little basket in the reeds a little Hebrew baby hidden in the basket, and the child's crying touched her heart. Let me read verse six. Maybe, maybe this won't grab you, but it grabbed me. The two illustrations that I went end with is biblical stories that are kind of offshoots. But listen to what it says. When the princess opened the, the basket, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. What? That's not the same thing you're talking about, Pastor. So let me go on. She said, in essence, this must be one of the Hebrew children. She knew that her father was trying to kill them. But the Bible says she felt sorry for that little baby. And so in so doing, she was going against the direct order of her father who had all power in the killing of these babies. Listen, she risked her life by saving and fostering little baby Moses and could it be in this story, think about it, I want you to think broadly, expand your mind, could it be that this was her way of apologizing for her father's evil and saying, I don't agree with that? Yeah. Think about it. I just want you to roll that around. I've been thinking about it. But here's what I want you to know. Oh, this is exciting. Listen, this, this single sorry, whatever, however you term it, not only saved a precious little baby's life, it saved a nation. The power of words. Who was Moses? A nobody. But in God's eyes, he had created him to be a mighty ruler that would lead his people, God's people, out of bondage. Wow. And it all started with a heart that was saying, I have sorrow. I'm sorry for what my dad's commanded because it's not right. And I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna take you into my own home. Wow. And you know what else this says to me? How precious every life is. That's why we don't mess with life. Life isn't a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. You hear me? We can't mess with it at either end. That's not a political statement. That's a spiritual statement. We don't, we don't take lives. God preserves lives. This life was changed. Well, sincerely forgiving. I read and have read books by R.T. Kendall, and he was pastoring. I've read it other places, but he said he took offense somewhere along the years, and, and he just harbored something was done to him. It was unjustly, unright. It wasn't right. And he said unforgiveness had begun to cause bitterness. It started to sit in. And a dear friend one day finally tenderly confronted him. And he said, he said, RT, you must totally forgive that person for what they've done. Be specific. You can and you must do it. Release them and you will be set free. And he tells the story. He said, that's exactly what happened. He said, I didn't want to. said I couldn't. But when I had the courage to do it, everything changed. And I was free from carrying that around in my heart and in my head. Um. I mentioned before that when you, when you choose to offer forgiveness to others, and it's a part of saying I'm sorry for sure, you're the one that really goes free. It doesn't matter what they do. When you totally forgive, you are not excusing bad behavior. You're not justifying injustice. You're not pardoning what someone else did for only God can do that. And people can experience God's grace and forgiveness and have their sin debt canceled, but how many of you know they can still face consequences for that sin? 
I want to be clear about that. Listen to Matthew 6, 12. Jesus teaches how to pray. Oh, here's part of it in the King James Version. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Did you catch that? Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And then in verse 14 it says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, their sin, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. In other words, it's gonna clog up the works if you're not willing to forgive because forgiven people forgive people. Did I say that? I wanna say it again and again. Jesus set the bar high. He said there's, there's a connection between vertical forgiveness and, 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 and horizontal forgiveness. It's not optional, it's not optional. Jesus said this in Luke 23, 24. He said, at the point of his excruciating pain, bearing our sin, our guilt, suffering horribly, physically, emotionally, in every way, the, the battle was raging spiritually. What did he say? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And I think a lot of people that have sinned against us, they don't really know the depth of the gravity and the hurt that they've caused many times. We do, and we carry it. But Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know the depth of what they've done. And then he said it's finished, and that meant that the sin debt of humanity, including yours and mine, was paid in full. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21 that speaks to it. For God made Christ who never sinned to be offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So through the work of Jesus, he basically said, I'm gonna take all your sin and unrighteousness, I'm gonna put it in my account, and I'm gonna take the righteousness of Jesus and everything he's done right, I'm gonna place that at your account, and we're gonna call it forgotten, forgiven, we're gonna call it even, that's good news. You're justified just as if it never happened. And I wanna lead into another Bible story that I've read and reread, I've never seen it this way. Maybe if you went to one of the eight years running of our Easter ministry, we depicted a scene where, where probably where Peter cut off Malchus's ear. Uh, and I want to go to that story for another example of, of why we can live in that sorry zone. So Jesus was in the garden, set the state. He'd done nothing wrong. He was in agony, suffering, and, and those came to accost him, led by the religious right where the religious wrong. And Peter, the, 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 the irrational, you know, spontaneous guy that he was, he drew his sword, and he cut off the ear of Malchus in a spontaneous act. Does anybody remember the story in the Bible? I'm not making this up. So here's what I want you to know. Please hear me. Are you ready to dial in? Come on. Listen. Listen carefully. So this is so symbolic. Everything Jesus does in the Bible is symbolic. Listen to this. What did Jesus do? He stepped in, and he healed the man's ear. One of the guys that had come to arrest him unjustly, he reattached the ear just as if it had never been severed in the first place, and in so doing, he destroyed the evidence that could have been used in court against Peter to throw him in prison. You just don't go around cutting off people's ears. I mean, then or now. Listen. So can you imagine if they went in court and there was a judge there, and if Malchus had said, Malchus had said in his testimony, that man over there, that man over there, his name is Peter. He cut off my ear, and the judge would say, hmm, come forward. Malchus, let me examine it closely. And he'd look, and hmm, 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 hmm. He'd say, the judge would say, it looks totally fine to me. Case dismissed. The case would be thrown out for lack of evidence. Ah! I got goosebumps on that story. Do you see the correlation? Do you see it? The story of Peter and Malchus is our story, too. Because Jesus, in our confession, in an, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm broken for my sin, he destroyed the evidence that sin could have been used against us to send us to hell by going to the cross and paying for our debt of sin. Is anybody glad about that? Incredible. 
All the things that have been done, people may remember, but God said to send the sea of my forgetfulness. Wow. Offer forgiveness for his sake. You can't control, I'll say it again, how another person's gonna respond. You can't control the outcome, but all you can control is you. Apologizing, forgiving are difficult things, but it starts at the cross. Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm sorry, you make the first move. You take the, the first step. You're really not, because Jesus already initiated it. That's where we get our strength. Well, I need to end it. I'll say it again, there's nothing easy or convenient about offering someone a sincere apology. And I'm sorry for sure. It's not convenient. The Holy Spirit always reminds us that the most inconvenient time, and we're sure he's made a mistake, to offer somebody a sincere apology or extend forgiveness to them. So we've gotta start by learning to say I'm sorry to God and then I'm sorry to man with specific and genuine sincerity from the heart, and you know it, you feel it. This is something I'll say again that you're gonna have to keep practicing and get good out until you draw your first breath in heaven. You're gonna keep getting better at it. Let me give you another illustration to close. Does anybody like me remember? I know teens, you weren't born. You need to Google this one too. Does anybody remember when President Ronald Reagan was shot? Uh, March 31, 30th, 1981. I remember where I was. That was one of my team's basketball games. His name was Jeff, outstanding player. I remember being there. And there would just begin to be a murmur through the crowd. And of course, if we had TVs, you know, they showed it over and over. And this week, I went back to look at it again, the footage, and you can see it. It's horrifying. It's, it's, it's just a few seconds. But I watched carefully, and uh, you might remember the name of a Secret Service officer named Tim McCarthy. There were several people shot, you know, Brady, there was another officer shot. Now, he wasn't killed, but he was, he was hit uh, in his midsection with a bullet. And when the, when, the gun shots, when the gunshots began, I mean, it was like 15 feet at the furthest away where Hinckley was and started squeezing the trigger. McCarthy backed up toward the president, and you pull it up and look at it. He went spread eagle and made himself as large as he could. And you know what happened? He took a, gut, he took a bullet in his gut, and he went down. And experts say that he probably, as, as severely wounded as the president was, he probably saved President Reagan's life by taking his bullet. I just got another goosebump. Do you know this applies to you? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for you when he made himself as large as possible on the cross and took the bullet for your sin and mine. Hey, if you say yes to Jesus and get in a relationship with him, you're never gonna get over that. I, I was looking around, scrolling around on, on the internet, and you, I, I, there were, you can check it out. There are many pictures of, of Tim McCarthy when he recovered with the Reagans. They treated him like royalty because he took the bullet that could have taken the president's life. And even after President Reagan died and Nancy was there very much in years, there were pictures of Tim being near and dear to her. Jesus has saved our life. He's received, if we've offered it, our I'm sorry. So shouldn't we be liberal and generous and genuine to offer the same to others? Just asking, what an incredible story. That's our story too. That's our story too. Jesus took the bullet, it was ours. It looks like this in Romans 5 eight. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God loves you when you least expect it, least deserve it, 
And he wants us to receive it by grace and by faith and to pass it on to others. So I just want to get in your business today and say, is there something you're holding on? That's the heart of most marriage conflict because you haven't really released and let go of something. You've never truly said, I'm sorry. Not like, if you'll do this, well, I'll do that. No, just really truly released it and let go of it. And I'm just praying the Holy Spirit as we close will be real specific and talk to your heart about something that you need to make right. Well, when they, I will, no, no. Just say, palms up, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this message of truth? What do you want me to do? And he'll drop a name, a person in your heart. He will, but it's up to you to to go the distance and then to behave differently, like live like you have totally freed that person. And I pray that you will. I don't have time, but I had in my notes a story of Corey Ten Boom, and and, uh, she talked about, remember after she was lost all of her family in Ravensbrook, whatever, the concentration camp, they were hiding Jews, and they were incarcerated, and they all died. She survived, and when she went back to Germany to speak, one of the first times she's preaching on God's forgiveness and all that, and a horrible guard, one of the cruelest guards was in the audience, and she, they, he came up to her and basically said, I need to hear from your lips that you forgive me. And she said she froze in that moment. She said time stood still, and she thought it was never going to end. And she said she couldn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't do it. But then she felt a surge of God's Spirit, and she, she said she reached out her hand and took his hand. And so when she did it, she said literally electric current just shot through her body and into him. And she said, oh, my, my brother, I do forgive you. I do you. I completely forgive you. And she said her life was never the same from that point on. Hey, forgiven people forgive people. Amen? I've seen families broken because there's, there's a lack of forgiveness. There's a lack of somebody willing to initiate and say, I'm sorry. Fathers, be a man in your home. Step up and say, I'm sorry. Don't be a hand washer. Be a foot washer. I invite you to stand, please, if you would, if you can. And maybe as they sing and close before Joel comes to change the order, maybe you need to, maybe the Holy Spirit's been faithful and you just want to pray about something. Oh, I'll do it later. That's part of sincerity is dealing with what the Holy Spirit does right now. So you may want to spend some moments. You may want to come and sit here on the stairs or pray just saying, Lord, I talk to me. Or you just want to say, search my heart right now and show me. But some of you know what to do. But I think physical act to, to, to underscore that, just like saying, yes, Lord, I agree, and I'll do it. I'll do it. Would you be honest and open? Father, thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free, that we can live in a new place of freedom where we can freely say I'm sorry not only to you but to others, where we can freely forgive as, we have forg- as you have forgiven us. And I pray that we'll live in this lane, that we won't just be hearers, but we'll be doers of your word and that it'll change dynamics and it'll change the trajectory of lives forever because you've given us the strength and courage, your Holy Spirit, in us to take the first step to make things right. We release other people from their ex- our expectations of how they should respond to that. We just want to obey you. We want to please you. We want to be God pleasers. And I pray that even now in the quietness of this moment online, that people would sincerely say to you, Lord, I'm sorry, that there's some who have never been to the cross at the foot of the cross said, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. We're, we're living on arrogantly like we don't need to humble ourselves, but we do. And I pray that some will even pray that prayer sincerely and say, be merciful to me, a sinner, oh God. And that we'll get up and go in a new direction, walking with your strength and power living within us. And I pray it expectantly and gratefully in the name of Jesus. Sarah, would you lead us? And you know this song. This will be kind of our, our closing thinking about what Jesus did for us.